0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew Podcast in this week's Adult Bible Studies. We continue through the book of Romans. Today we've come to Romans chapter 8. We're going to take two weeks on this great chapter. So this week we're just going to cover like the first mm, about 14 to 17 verses or so. Next week we'll pick back up and continue along these this theme and along this chapter. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's Bible study. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You may remember last week I, uh, we finished Romans chapter 7. And Romans chapter 7 has no mentionings of the Holy Spirit. It's a chapter of struggle. It's a chapter of defeat. Remember Paul said at the end of that, he says the things that I would, I, I do not. And the things that I don't want to do, basically, I find myself doing and it's just a constant struggle. But that came on the heels of chapter 6, when in chapter 6, he laid out for us our position. And chapter 6 was a foundational one. It was a very important one as well. He said that we are dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God. And he says you've got to know your position. This be, there was a basic one last week, or two weeks, or multiple weeks ago, in Romans chapter 6. He said you've got to know your position. That you are dead to sin and alive into Christ. you got a new master. Your old master's dead. Remember, you don't work for Gene at Walmart anymore. You now have a new master. But if you liked your old job at Lieber, you could go back to that. You could put yourself underneath that bondage. I'm going to give you another little, some more illustrations today to kind of help with that. You can put yourself back underneath that. But why? Because... Uh, it's a the old nature sin and Satan it's just a terrible taskmaster that hates you and never is out for your good but now you have a new master in Jesus Christ who loves you wants to bring life and peace and so much more that was chapter 6 but in chapter 7 there's no mention of that in chapter 7 it's all a bunch of defeat because chapter 7 showed a person that went back and put themselves underneath the law and try to put the law, and try to, uh, try to be uh, obedient to the law. And so in chapter 6, you're set free from the bondage of sin. But chapter 7 tried to say, hey, you're set free from the demands of the law. But then in chapter 8, we are free to experience victory. And at the end of chapter 7, he finally got to say, hey, who can... Remember I said there was an illustration of, a, like back then, they would put dead bodies of someone that you would kill, or they put it on top of you, you'd have to carry that dead body. And, and Paul said, "If I could probably open my Bible. and I, I want to read you a story, so I'm trying to hold my spot here, and it's throwing me off. But Paul said at the end of chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he said, there's the true victory. The true victory comes in Jesus Christ, which ties it back to chapter 6 and sets us up for a wonderful chapter 8 and I just read this this morning I forgot this is an old book by Lewis Talbot not that any of you would know him I would know this guy but he wrote some great a great little book old book on the study of Romans and I forgot to look at it this week I like to reference this guy because he gives some solid thoughts and I set it on one of my reading tables and I was in my office this week studying and I forgot to go check him out so this morning I was like I gotta go check this out and I opened to this little story at the beginning so I'll start our class with this Because I liked it. In the old days, there was this little girl in Scotland who applied for membership in her church. So it wasn't going to be an independent Baptist church, but she was applying for membership in her church. And when she applied for membership of this church, she was appearing before a group of dignified elders who questioned her about her faith. Can you imagine that? If you had to apply for membership of faith and they set you down, like they did for me when I got ordained, they drilled me for three hours with questions. Imagine they drilled you with questions. And so they're asking her a question about her faith. And one of them asked, they said, What are you trusting in for salvation? Good question. The little girl replied, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins and rose again for my justification. The elder stroked his whiskers, it says, and asked again, You have been saved through the blood of Christ, but does the tempter ever knock at your door? The little girl, with a look of assurance, answered, Yes, Satan knocks at my heart's door. But when he does, I say to Christ, who lives in me, you know, the Lord, Lord, wilt thou open the door for me? And when he goes to the door and Satan sees him, he always says, pardon me, but I knocked on the wrong door. She goes on, and then the author writes, why should that little girl have opened the door to the tempter? She knew the secret of the eighth chapter of Romans, which is that the Holy Ghost gives victory. He controls your life. And that's what we've been building towards this whole time. And so often we think we got to answer the door and we got to deal with Satan and we got to fight this. And we, whoa, 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 hey, you got a new master now. And the new master wants to fight and give you victory and help you in the, in the sanctification process, in the growing process. But we think we got to fight all of our own battles and our own strength. And that little girl understood something that many Christians today don't. So, with that introduction, let's get into chapter 8. And the chapter 8 starts with with just a great, great verse. And I wish if I had a board, that whiteboard, if I had it right here, you guys would be getting all kinds of artwork, all right? But I don't, and I wish I did. But if you could pe- imagine, okay? Because you guys got good imaginations. If you imagine the word position right here, and the, imagine the word practice right here, okay? position right here practice right here you're going to see those two split up right here in the very first verse because in the first verse of Romans 8 says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus that's a great verse a great start says there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus it's dealing with my position in my position in Jesus Christ Romans chapter number six I'm dead to sin I'm alive to God I've got a new master there is no condemnation to me. I, I, I am not going to lose my salvation. There's some people we were just mentioning before prayer. Debra uh, uh, mentioned somebody that used to always ask him about, oh, can I lose my salvation? And this same person used to always come to me and say, now what about this? Can I lose my salvation? Romans 1.8.1 is just one of the many verses. There is therefore now no condemnation. In your position now in Christ, you are not condemned to die in hell. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You are saved. We can go to multiple verses. That is your position. Then the second part of this verse trips a lot of people up. But it's actually switching now and talking about, which has been the overall context, your practice. It trips a lot of people up to the point where some people say it shouldn't be in the Bible, and some verses just take it out. And it's, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just understand the context. There is therefore now no condemnation than winter are in Christ Jesus. That's my position. To them which walk after, to who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now it's talking about my practice. This is not going to change. I am not going to be under condemnation. But you know what? When I live in Romans chapter 7, I feel condemnation sometimes. You know why? Because when I walk after my flesh, I feel Condemned. You know what Satan does? He starts telling me, hey Brad, I can't believe you're a sinner. I can't believe you You call yourself a Christian. I mean, you're a sinner. You don't deserve heaven. I start feeling condemnation. That condemnation, wait, wait, it says there's no condemnation, but I feel condemnation because in my practice, I'm living after my flesh, Romans 7, and not claiming my position, which is in Jesus Christ. And so when I walk in my flesh, I feel condemned. I'm not. I can always hold to my position. But I feel condemned. I feel it. And so, but when he says the last part of that, he says, but after the Spirit. When I walk in the Spirit, I don't feel lost at all. I feel like this super Christian, like a marvel Christian. I'm like, hey, I'm walking in the Spirit right now. It's not me, but it's Christ in me. Bring on sin. Let's go. We're going to beat this. But when I'm in my flesh, oh, I feel so condemned. Romans 7. feel so condemned in my, in my flesh but when my position, though, there is no condemnation. Now, with all that being said, go to verse number two, because I love this. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. So there's a law that's going on, the law of sin and death. That's We even talked about chapter six. The law of sin and death keeps pulling me down. But he says there's another law that's greater than that. He says it's the law, in verse 2, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I don't have a penny. I never have any money. You know what I mean? But I've got my old book here. All right, watch what's going to happen to this book. You ready for this? I'm going to teach you a law that most of you already know. Ready? What law did we just see? The law of gravity. Very good. The law of gravity. But now the law of gravity is still working, right? But something's changed. There's the law of Brad McClure, all right? There's the law of Brad's right hand. The law of gravity is still working. It's still pulling it down. But a new law is overriding the ongoing law, okay? So the law in you, there's still the law of the flesh in you that wants to pull you down every single day. That law wants to pull you down, wants to destroy your life. But you have a new law now in Jesus Christ that that flesh can't is not more powerful than. It. Now we can we can allow Satan some victory, but that's what he's saying here in verse two. The law of the spirit of Christ, uh, spirit of life in Christ Jesus that made me free from the law of sin and death. There is also another illustration you could give the law of of uh, it's really counteracting. If I see Jim here, he's got some glasses on. Jim, are you nearsighted or farsighted? Do you know? Uh, He's nearsighted. So there's a law of nearsightedness. which that means you can't see things far away? It's opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So if he takes those off right now, I'm as blurry as could be. (laughs) And it's a blessing for him. So right now, he can't see. I mean, I'm just like this big yellow ball right now. But when he puts those glasses on, there's the law of counteraction. When he puts those glasses on, he can see now. And he can see me and see my outfit and my yellow shirt and my, uh, my ugly face. He can see everything there. Now, does he still have his nearsightedness? Yes, he's still got it. But he's counteracting that with the lenses. There's a new law that's more powerful. Your flesh is still trying to get at you. But you're under a new law, the law of Christ, the law of the Spirit, and that is victorious. That allows you to see... That, that allows you to be held up when everything is pulling you down. And, and it's something to rejoice in that we have this victory. And so he, that's why one person asked an author, or a, a, I think it was asked an, an old author, and they were interviewing him in chapter seven. It was a guy really critical of Romans six, seven, and eight. And he was asking this author, he goes, how do you ever get out of Romans chapter seven? It seems like we all live there. And his answer was simply said, I think my way out of chapter seven. Based on that last verse, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. He said, because I've got to realize I've already got all of that. So I just thank my way out of it. I thank God for my new position. I thank God for this new law of Christ in me. I thank Him for it. I don't try to do it in my own strength. I just thank God because He's already done it for me, and I claim that. When you're thankful for something, you means you've received it. So verse 3 says, What the law could not do in that, in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, I can't get into all the Greek here. Okay, We could nerd out, and I didn't go complete nerd mode in studying this, because I knew I wasn't going to get into it in this class. But sometimes in the Greek... When you're translating from Greek to English, there's at times when the Greek doesn't put in the definite article the. Okay? Because the definite article the, when it's, I can't remember now at the top of my head, when it's there or when it's missing. I think when it's missing, he's talking about being under the power of something. When it's there, it's talking about the actual, like, it's like a noun, it's like the, the thing. So when he says here, and there was a one teacher, he went through all this text and he put brackets around every one of them that was the definite article and every one that was not actually in the original Greek. Very good. If you had a good teacher, they would probably do that too. But they don't give me a whiteboard. Number one, and number two, I can't really understand that much Greek. I'm not going to walk over in front of Mr. Hawk there and do that. So plus then I got to figure out all the Greek and it's and I don't. I'm not that talented. But but he says but. But there's going to be several phrases when you're going to hear me say this like in verse number um four when it says who walk not after the power of the flesh but after the power of the spirit that's because of the lack of definite article there and so it's referring to here he's and let me just back up now because you're going to hear me say that and you to be like i don't see that in the bible because i'm re- i'm reading to the meaning of that word when i read it so i want to back up now that the righteousness all this happened that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the power of the flesh but after the power of the spirit so all of this happened and jesus christ did all this yes so that we get to heaven one day and i said at the beginning of this study so often we look at this and say well i got saved now i get to go to heaven and now let's just figure out this we're just fighting all the time whoa whoa! he tells us right here all of that happened yes to get you to heaven but so that you don't have to live after the power of your flesh, but so now that you can claim and live after the power of the Holy Spirit in your daily life. So in verse 5, he says, For they that are after the power of the flesh do mind or set their mind on the things of the flesh. That's talking about the noun, like the flesh in that sense of what it is. So if you are living after the power of your flesh, The reason you're doing that is because your mind is set on fleshly things. You're a Christian, but our minds are just in the gutter. When we set our mind, like when you set a thermostat, like it feels like someone set it on heat and high right now in this room, but when you set something, it's going to follow that. And when you set your mind on things of the flesh all the time, and that's what you feed, and that's what you fill, and that's what you feed, and that's what you fill, your position is still in Christ, But you're going to live after the power of your flesh now. Because that's what you're feeding all the time. But he says, He says, But they that are after the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the things, he's talking still in context, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. So why do you hear so many teachers and preachers say, Hey, get in the Bible. Study the Bible. Because that is setting your mind on spiritual things. To help you live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we don't, think about, man, think about the things that our mind gets set on from this world, the news and uh, the media. And I mean, all of this stuff is just filth. And, and I'm not saying, well, I'm not going to go down that road, but it's just so much filth out there. We need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. One of the things we need to set our mind in is what our new position is. Hey, this is my position in Jesus Christ. And so, as I say every week, I don't have to give in to this sin because when Satan knocks at the door, like the little girl said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to answer the door. I'm going to send God to answer the door. He lives inside of me, He's my new master. He's the one that overcomes. Set your mind on the right thing so you can live in the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of the flesh he says verse 5 for they that are that's the one i've just read verse 6 for to be carnally remember that word means fleshly minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace carnally minded this is where a lot of people trip up really from here in chapter 8 chapter 9 and chapter 10 the most controversial controversial chapters in all of romans I, in our class we're not going to get there but there's a view called calvin uh, calvinism that we do not hold as a church a lot of people you read have in the past some people do some big names some people that i read and i respect but i disagree with them here some people that i'm friends with believe in calvinism but i disagree with them but calvin well I won't, i'll get into that more probably next week but for the sake of this conversation, one of the pieces of Calvinism is they struggle with saying that a person can live after the flesh even after they're saved. But I think I have a room full of illustrations and you have a teacher full of illustrations because I've been saved since I was 12. Been put in some pretty good environments at PCC. I mean, you just, you're just like surrounded by safe environment, although there's a lot of sinfulness that happens there, but people, you, you can find it. I've had a great family around me thankful for all that but you know what i can get after my flesh still pretty good and 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 so so, sometimes people struggle with saying that i you can still be carnally minded they don't like that like the the calvinists a lot of them will say there is no carnal minded it's just this is just someone who's not saved you're not a christian well then you got to go around and i mean if i see chris today say one thing or act one way i'm like oh chris may not be saved then wow (laughs) He's up there He's up there doing our ushering, but I heard what he said around here. He was really negative with a bad attitude. He may not even be saved. Okay, we've got to go around now judging everybody like that. No, no, no. We can get in our flesh because we are foolish sometimes. But it says to be carnally minded is death. You know what it does, though? It's just like a lost person. It does bring death. But when I live after my flesh, it brings a death to me. Now it doesn't mean that I remember this. Per, what was this spot? My position, right? It doesn't mean it takes away heaven. That's a position. I, I'm always saved, but I can live in a rottenness of the flesh. And there's a lot of miserable Christians. It's been said sometimes, and I've said it, and other many have said it, but. The worst, the most miserable person on this earth is not a lost person. This is the best it's going to get for them. But a Christian living after their flesh and away from God, they're miserable. They're miserable because they're, it, the carnal mind brings a death to you, it brings a corruption to you. Sure, in your position, you're saved. Now, with all that being said, let me flip to the other side, maybe bring some confusion. Are there some people that say they're saved and they're not? yes there are some people that say that they're a Christian and they're just not now my I try to make it a practice in my life as I've said I try not to go around and be a fruit inspector not to go around and say ah, I don't know I don't see enough fruit lining up in your life I don't think you're saved I try to be a fruit bear I try to see people saved and try to encourage people to grow in their faith and not go around saying you're saved and you're not saved but I've been around people that I respect that they'll if someone misses church three or four weeks in a row and then they quit and go to they're like, eh, they probably weren't saved. And I'm like, I just don't want to be that guy. Because it's not my call. So, yes, on the flip side, there can be people that say they're Christians and they're not, and they're living after their flesh, and they're doing just because that's their natural thing to do, because they're really not saved. They just say they're saved. That could be the case, but it's not for us to really get in a mindset of all we need to know is this. If we want to live after our flesh, it's gonna bring the feeling of death and corruption but to be spiritually minded is life and peace so if you actually embrace our new position in christ in the new practice we have of walking in the power of the holy spirit it brings a new life to you it brings peace to your life and 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 if you think about it it just makes sense because when we read romans chapter number seven did it sound like paul was in peace when he said the things that i would because all of us when i anytime i read that passage well, when I read it in the difficult way, they don't. But once I explain it, I say the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. And the things that I I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I always find people nodding their head. Because we all do that. Jim really nodded his head, Cindy. So you need to this guy right here. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Because we're all there. We all identify with that. And every time I feel it in my head, I, I, I mean like, yes, this is... But... But to go on to what, um, I don't even remember, I was going with that because I was making fun of Jim there. But, <laughs> but we all identify with that. But the truth of the matter is, we've, when, we bring, when we live in the Spirit, it brings a life and it brings a peace. He didn't seem in peace right there. And I think a lot of us, the reason we nod our heads so much in that because we've sensed that lack of peace because we're struggling with, if we could go through the fruits of the Spirit again, which I've done so many times already in this class, but we're struggling. Instead of feeling the love we should, we feel selfish. Instead of feeling the joy, we still feel frustration. Instead of feeling the the peace, we feel worry. Instead of being slow to our temper, we're quick to temper. Instead of being gentle, we're harsh. Instead of being good, we're mean. All the opposites of the fruit of the Spirit. We feel that tension every day, we don't have the peace because we're living after the power of our flesh and not after the power of our spirit. So he goes on he says this. Verse 7, he says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's living, it's living back under like your old, your old master. It's, it's not the way of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the power of the flesh cannot please God. God because the flesh is not what pleases God without faith it's impossible to please God and so trying to live the Christian life in my own flesh and my own power is not going to please God it's basically saying this I got saved in my new position God coven and side of me now sit tight don't move don't do anything just make sure you get me to heaven I'll figure all this out on my own and then I'm just getting beat up by sin instead of saying God answer the door for me here's anger again God would you take care of this? God, here's worry again. I'm worried sick to death over this. Could you answer the door of worry? Could you help me? God, here's my here's my lustful thinking. God, here's my here, here's my whatever it is. God, could you answer the door? Could you take care of this? That is being spirit dependent. That is depending on the power of the spirit instead of depending on this power the flesh that doesn't mean you don't get counsel it doesn't mean you don't get help it doesn't mean some people don't need to go to uh you know some some groups that help with this stuff not, i'm not saying any of that i'm just saying you're not placing your dependence on any of that in a sense alone to help you your dependence is on jesus christ and he can bring victory but it's faith faith is the key faith is saying god i can't you can can you please answer the door to this sin instead of saying, well, I'm just going to figure this out and forget all about God. And so, he says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. I read verse 8. Let's go to verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh. You're not in the power of the flesh now. But you're in the Spirit. You're in the power of the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of, of Christ, he is none of his. So, actually, this is where it can get a bit controversial. Let me just say it two ways. Number one, the simple way to look at it is if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. That's true. And that's how it gets applied a lot of times. But actually, probably more in context, he's saying, if you, don't, if you don't live after the power of the Holy Spirit, you're, you're, what you're doing is you're not taking advantage of all of the blessings that God has given you. In your new position now, you have all access to God. You have all access to his power, his grace, his strength. You have access to everything. But if you don't live after the Spirit, you're not taking advantage of all of this. It's my illustration weeks ago when I said, Aaron, you've got a million dollars in your bank account. He says, great, and he lives underneath the overpass and never goes and gets it. That's in a sense what he's saying is if, you're gonna, if you don't live after the power of the Holy Spirit, then you're wasting access to everything that you have. And that's why you live in frustration and defeat because you're not taking advantage of everything that you have in Christ. So he says in verse 10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. But to the spirit of him that have raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or revive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you so it's by his spirit that's how he's going to revive you and bring you out of this therefore brethren we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh for if you live after the flesh you're going to die but if you through the spirit notice how if you through the power of the spirit do mortify the word mortify means put to death the deeds of the body ye shall live I love that verse it's the spirit that that puts to death the, the sin and so i mean the the most i I say it every week though but i don't know how else to do it but the the basic thing when i got saved i bowed my head and said god i cannot you can't forgive me of my sins and i'm base placing my faith in you to to save me to do what i cannot do i can't get to heaven you need to do it for me that's salvation sanctification the same thing pick your favorite sin Okay, God, I'm faced with this sin again. I can't overcome this. You can. The best I know how I'm asking you to do for me what I cannot do. Help me with blank sin. Whatever it is. You say, that's it? That's it. You say, well, there's got to be more steps. Like, give me a four-step program here. No, it's, it's faith. So, so, in the end, I'm giving tons of explanation to try to convince you and myself, because I'm a te- learning in this as well, that all we have to do is access what God has already done. So then, every one of us love when we've got to access something. Okay, give me. We don't love it because if I were to say, "Hey, Aaron, you got a million dollars in the bank," and he'd be like, "Oh, that's awesome," and he say, "Well, how do I do it?" and I say, "Well, here's 15 steps to get it." We'd be like, "15 steps," but he's going to do all 15 of those steps because he wants that million dollars. So I'm telling you, you got, a, you got something worth more than a million dollars that you can help overcome your sin, overcome the frustrations of your life, everything that's bringing you down and causing pain and everything. You have the victory right here. You're like, okay. Then what's the 15-step process? It's nothing. It's faith. Just ask God to help you when you feel tempted. And we're like, that's not enough. It's faith. If it was enough to save you, it's enough right here. You're not in debt to the flesh anymore. You're now in Christ. Verse 13, For if ye live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's like the moment that you say, God, I can't, but you can. Now, you don't have to say those exact words, but for, so don't try to repeat what I'm saying. But the moment you say, God, I need help in this. I can't overcome my blank." And I know that you've already given victory. God, would you help me? The moment you do that, that is faith. And faith is the trigger. When you pull a trigger on a gun, you know what happens? Explosion. The moment you pull the trigger of faith, it activates the Holy Spirit to intervene in that problem, whatever that problem is. So you have to activate the Holy Spirit. How do I activate The wrong teaching is you activate the Holy Spirit in a sense by just doing everything on your own. No, the the teaching is you activate the Holy Spirit by requesting and asking Him. But then what do I do? Then you just live how you're supposed to. So I'm having trouble with my, let's say, anger. And I want to get angry at this person right here. But I realize I feel it. I ask God to help me with it. God, I feel the anger. It's not right. I need you to help me overcome this right now. So then what do I do? I go punch him in the face. No, you activated the flesh. You ignored what you just said. You activated the flesh. So what do I do? You walk away. And as you walk away, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God brings life and peace. You feel the peace about you. It happened in faith. It activated the Spirit. You didn't see any of it happen. You just responded how you're supposed to dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. I got to go, but he says for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now that just sounds in the simple form it sounds like you say, okay, if I'm led by the Spirit, that's assurance that I'm a child of God. And that's not a terrible application. It's not the exact application, but it's not a terrible one. But what he's actually saying here and it's it's cool This word sons of God has got the idea of an adult son that has all access to all that his father's riches. So if Aaron's got a million dollars, let's say he goes to his son Ty and says, Ty, here's the code to the ATM machine. You have access to my million dollars. Now, he's a kid, so it kind of kills my illustration there, but it's got the idea the son of God. You're an adult child with access to everything that Christ has. So that's the idea. What he's saying here is... So if you are led by the Spirit, that means he's going to lead you to this access of everything you have to get victory over that sin. Then he says, "For I'm only going to verse 17, it says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage to fear. Again, to fear. Man, that's where sin always leads me. It always puts me in a bondage to fear. Every time. But he says, that's not what you've received the spirit for, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry abba father the word adoption there means it happens when the holy spirit placed me into the family of god at salvation but he placed me in the family of god not to earn up to that like maybe aaron would say to his sons all right you can pull out 50 dollars a month because you don't need the money right now okay and then when they get to 18 you can pull out 200 dollars a month all right but to becca he's like you can pull out because you're a spender no he's he said you have all access anything you want the the idea of adoption is the spirit of God put us into this family of God with full access to whatever we need you have access to everything all of God's grace all of God's victory that's the word adoption placed into a family with full access that's the idea of adoption and then I love what he says here because he says we can cry Abba Father you know Abba Father like I don't go to my dad and say, Hey, Abba, Father, how you doing? It's just really weird. But to these Jewish readers, that was one of the most the, the most precious ways to call out to your dad. And so, still, even like when my kids say to me, Dad, when they call me Dad, or my boys say, will send me a text sometimes and I say, I love you, Dad, or something like that. Man, I, I have a pretty soft heart, like I know this guy does. It kind of gets me every time, even saying that right there. But... We can, as children of God, we have access that we can call out to Him and say, Abba, Father. I've got a problem. Just like that little girl, I've got a problem right here with sin. And our heavenly Father says, "Just trust me. I got that." That's Romans chapter eight. That you don't have to live in Romans seven where you're trying to. I'm trying to do it, but I can't. And I thought if I read my Bible five hours, I could overcome this sin. You're just putting yourself under the law you know why we read our bible because it tells us about our abba father i read the bible not so that god has to bless me it's not this negotiation thing where god i went to three services today and i read my bible for for six out of the seven days you owe me no god doesn't owe us anything we already have it all we do this because of our love for him imagine if i went to michelle today and say hey all right I'm trying to to fulfill this contract of our marriage stuff. I'm going to give you like three hours today. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Three hours. I'm going to give you three hours, and then it's back to me time. We're not... No. We, you do what you do because of the love. He's our Father, and He does what He does because of our trust in Him and he, because He is our Father, He takes care of us. So, so Romans chapter 8. We're going to get into more next week. We'll get more into how He prays for us. We're going to get into how do we deal with the trials. Then we're going to get into the real controversial verses. But Romans 8, 28-29, we're not going to make controversy of them. But we're going to see more into this chapter of all that we have now. But did you notice a big difference? Chapter 7, no mentions of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter number 8, Uh, chapter number 8, I've read one place there's like 29 mentionings of the Holy Spirit. It's like Paul was saying, this is the life that you want. This is the victory. It's all that you have in the Holy Spirit. I hope that was a help to you. Let's pray.